as we get ready for the holiday of Rosh Hashanah, I want to share with you some insights into the meaning of the day and set the stage for the entire days of all the high holiday season. So what is Rosh Hashanah celebrating? Everyone knows it's the Jewish New Year, right? Shana Tova, you should be blessed with a sweet new year. But the reality is, is that there's a lot more going on on the day of Rosh Hashanah. So you think about our American uh, Western New Year's, January 1st. It's a, uh, a drunken party. The ball drops. People make resolutions. There's a lot of joy in the air. But the Jewish feeling on Rosh Hashanah is very different than that. Of course, there is joy. We eat festive meals. We dress in our holiday clothes. We uh, have all sorts of different customs. We dip apple in honey as a symbol of a, of a sweet new year. We have all different foods that we eat symbolizing different things on Rosh Hashanah. But the feeling in synagogue is very much, is very different than that. It's actually a very scary and a very serious day. It's, according to the Talmud, it's judgment day. It's the day when the entire world is judged on what's going to be for the new year. The Talmud says that on Rosh Hashanah, there are three books open, the book of life and the book of death and a book of the in-between. And everyone's written, the righteous are written in the book of life. The wicked are written in the book of death. And the in-between people, it waits until Yom Kippur, and then the judgment is sealed. If a person repents on Yom Kippur, then they're written in the book of life. And if not, they're written in the book of death. So instead of praying, we're instead of partying, we're praying. And, uh, and instead of being drunk, drunk in stupor, we're dipping apples in honey. And the whole day is essentially a day of, you know, many hours of praying in synagogue. Instead of noisemakers, we blow shofar. What's the significance of the shofar, the ram's horn that we blow on Rosh Hashanah? In fact, that's the mitzvah of the day is to hear the ram horn being blown a hundred times. So now I always say that you know, the most many American Jews only go to synagogue once or twice a year on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And that's really the worst days to go to synagogue because it's it's hours and hours of standing there praying from a book that's written in essentially in Chinese. You don't understand the language and and uh, you're trying to figure out what it's all about. And finally, you figure out what it's about. And it's about the fact that you're going to die this year. So it's no wonder why people only go to synagogue two or one or two times a year. Uh, it's not it's not very uh, inspirational, very positive. But the reality is, is that it's, it is an incredibly inspirational and positive day. We just have to understand, tap into the secret meaning of the day. So let's talk a little bit about Rosh Hashanah. Now, we said that that we're getting judged. Now, judgment doesn't feel very good. All right? it's, not, it's not a good feeling to get judged. Um, but what really is that judgment? Because if you think about it, the, the liturgy says that not only are human beings judged, but the entire world, the entire universe is judged from the animals to the angels and everything in between. Now, that's very problematic because animals and angels, neither of them have free will. So if you don't have free will, you can't really be judged for your actions because your actions are, are not really uh, intentional. 
right? Animals and angels act on autopilot. They automatically do exactly what they're programmed to do. So what's with that judgment? Another question we have to ask is, and this question is asked by the ancient, you know, the medieval commentaries on, on the Talmud, is if wicked people are written in the book of death, so what should we see every year right after Rosh Hashanah is all the bad people should die. And of course that doesn't happen. So it can't mean what we thought it meant. So what is Rosh Hashanah really commemorating? The Siddur, the prayer book, explains, based on the Talmud, that Rosh Hashanah is really commemorating the creation of the world. And we say in the prayers, Hayom Haras Olam, which loosely translated means today is the birthday of the world. Rosh Hashanah is commemorating creation, but not really of the world. It's actually, according to the Talmud, creation of Adam. First human being was created on Rosh Hashanah. And we call that the birthday of the world because really the purpose of the entire world is that one being should pos who possesses free will, that's us, human beings, because we're made up of both body and soul. Adam was created from dirt. His body was made just like from the, the elements, just like the animals. But then Adam has within him something different than the animals, which is a soul, which is a spark, which is a a living, breathing soul, which is made in the image of God. The animals also have soul, but they have a lower level of soul, just a life force, an emotion, emotional soul. But a human being has an intellectual soul. And the Torah says that God breathed into that dirt a breath of life. And now Adam possesses both animal and angel within him. His body is from the animal kingdom, wanting what animals want, immediate physical selfish pleasure. And his soul wants what angels want, which is, connection to God. And because we have poles in two opposite directions, therefore we have free will. We get to decide, do I listen to my animal or do I listen to my angel? And that's that's human history in a nutshell. Learning to overcome the body and to channel the body for service of the greater good, something more sublime, more, more lofty, more spiritual. So we call the birthday of Adam the birthday of the world because we're essentially the purpose of the entire world is for us is for us to connect uh, to connect to to god so on this day on the anniversary of creation of the world what is going on exactly why is there a judgment involved in that so we can think of it with the following metaphor imagine the ceo of one of the greatest companies in history you can think about uh Facebook Meta or Apple or uh, or Microsoft or tel Tesla, and think about what those CEOs are doing on the anniversary of the formation of their company. What is Elon Musk doing? Uh, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs. What are what are they doing uh, on that day? So, besides just partying. They're actually doing something very serious. They're, it's a very introspective day for them because on that day, they actually have to do an accounting, a day of reckoning. How is the company doing? How have we done in this past year to accomplish our mission? And to do that, they take out their mission statement and they show it to all the employees and they say, how are we doing? Let's look at our stats. Look, let's look at our successes and our failures over the past year. Let's look at our inventory. Let's look at our, our sales and, and our expenditures and our gross income. How have we done at, do, at 
accomplishing the goal that we set out to do, which is to become one of the greatest companies in the world, to accomplish X, Y, and Z, making our customers happier, healthier, more successful, selling our brand across the world. And then the CEO does something else. The CEO of the greatest company in the world also wants to make sure that his employees are giving their all to the company because he doesn't want to waste time and energy on an employee who's not fully invested. So what does he do then? CEO makes time in his very special, very busy day to spend time with every employee. Now, of course, this doesn't happen in real life, but in an ideal world, that's what the CEO would be doing is he would be looking at each and every employee and saying, how are you helping the company mission? Are you hurting us or are you helping us? Could you be helping us more? And then when he finds out, of course, and naturally, that some employees have shortcomings, some employees uh, didn't do the best job in the past year. So how does he then motivate them to become bought in to the mission of the company? So I believe that Stephen Covey in Seven Habits of Highly Successful People says that the greatest CEOs don't have employees. You know what they have? They have partners. To approach the employees and say, you know what? I know your record's not great over the past year, but I want to help you do better this year. What can you do to make this company great? You know what? I'm not your boss. I'm actually your employee. You're my boss. You tell me what you need in order to make the company great, and I will help you accomplish that. The CEO enables each person to figure out how they can best help that mission, and then he empowers them to do so. That's the best way to motivate your employees is to turn them into partners. He doesn't fire people who aren't doing great. He helps them do better. So there's a great story I heard the other day about a, a big manager at IBM who made an error miscalculation that cost IBM something to the tune of $15 million in losses. Now that is quite a bad day when that happens, right? And the next day the employee came to work and he went up to the boss's desk, the president the CEO's desk, and he handed him his resignation letter. And the CEO said, what is this? He said, I'm resigning. He said, I, wanna, I don't wanna save you the, the trouble of firing me and having to give me severance. No, I just, I don't want you, you don't owe me anything. There's no way I can ever make up for all the damage I've done. And the best thing I could do is just tell you that I quit and, uh, and, and, and you won't have to deal with me again. And the CEO looked at me and says, you can't quit. I said, what do you mean? I just did. He said, no, you didn't. How could you quit after we just invested $15 million in your training? You see, the great CEO realizes that even the failures even the mistakes are just lessons along the way towards becoming your greatest self. So that, my friends, is what Rosh Hashanah is all about. On Rosh Hashanah, God, the CEO of the universe, opens up the mission statement. 
and says, how are we doing at accomplishing the mission with which I set out for the world? How is the world doing? What is that mission? God created the world. There are a few different explanations of this in different, uh, brought down in different Jewish sources, but essentially God created the world for the ultimate purpose of having a relationship with us, of creating a, a state of unity amongst mankind where we can all come together as one to connect to the creator. So how are we doing at world peace? How are we doing at spiritual consciousness, God consciousness? How are we doing at self-perfection? Another purpose of the world is that we should all perfect ourselves. How are we doing it at perfecting ourselves? And ultimately, how are we doing at revealing God's unity in the world? And then he looks at each individual. Now, what is the judgment on Rosh Hashanah? The Talmud actually explains the judgment is not actually on the past. It's not on what you did last year. It's where are you right now? Where is your desire? Where do you want to be in this next year? It's about the moment. In the moment of Rosh Hashanah, God turns to each of us and says, what role do you want to have in my company? Are you in? Do you believe in my mission? Are you bought into it? Do you want to be part of my company? Do you want to help to make my brand great in the world? Or do you want to have a low part in my company? Do you want to be a janitor, important, but not as important as a vice president? Or, God forbid, do you want to work for the other, the competition? And there really is no competition, right? But do you want to serve yourself, essentially? Do you want to be freelance and not really work for the company? So the judgment on Rosh Hashanah is not on the past. It's actually on the future. What role will you play in this next year? And that's why animals and angels are also judged because they also have a role to play in human history, in world history. Everything has an important part, whether we see it and understand it or not. The judgment is on what role we're going to play in the next year. And for us, we get to choose our role. So what does it mean that you're written in the book of life? And we know that wicked people don't drop dead the next day after Rosh Hashanah. The answer is we're talking about spiritual life. What's our spiritual purpose going to be in this next world? So how do we avoid the scrutiny of the CEO? By figuring out how we can improve ourselves in order to be better employees of the company. Now, it's many people think that Rosh Hashanah is a day to basically pray for your own needs because, as we said, it's, it's, it is being written what's going to be in this next year. Now, we are essentially judged who's going to live, who's going to die, if we'll be healthy, if we'll have money and happy. All these things are, are essentially written down in Rosh Hashanah. It's the beginning of a new creation. God basically puts energy into creation to make the world function for a full year and then at the end of the year he has to reprogram the whole new reality so the judgment of whether you're good or bad doesn't have to do whether or not you live live or not next year that's based on what role you're going to play for the for the company for the future maybe your death is necessary in some way god forbid maybe being uh, healthy 
is necessary. So how, how do we how do we deal with that? How do we convince the CEO to give us health, life, love, wealth? So the answer is, is it it's all about what's best for the company. All right. If a person there are people that don't really think about God very often until they need him when they're sick or or unemployed or lonely, suddenly they turn to God. So for those people, God says, you know what? That sickness was actually very beneficial. So I'll send you more of that in the upcoming year. But for somebody who has in mind his relationship with God at all times, so then maybe the sickness would only hinder it. So that's the way to convince the CEO of whatever you need. Don't daven outright. Don't pray for a new car or a new house for money. Instead, tell the CEO why it's going to help you be a better employee. Convince him that it's good for the company. And you can't really trick him because he knows really what's good for you. Essentially, you have to figure out why having a new car is going to make you a better employee, how it's going to get you to work on time. Or in this case, in real life, how having more money will enable you to give more charity. Make a commitment. I'll give away 10% of whatever I make. I'll give to charity. Also, now there's an invest, a vested interest in you making more money this year. Figure out if you're healthy how much more you'll engage in mitzvahs and good deeds in learning Torah in going to shul make a commitment on how to be the best you and how to make yourself even better and how to make the world even better that's the secret to getting all your prayers answered on Rosh Hashanah so what's now a final answer to our question is what's the deal with the ram's horn why are we blowing the ram's horn? So as we explained, God created man by blowing into him a breath of life, which is the soul. So in Rosh Hashanah, we essentially become partners in God in his seat, in his company. We are now part of the PR team. The Jewish people is God's PR team in the world to reveal God's mission and message to the world, a message of unity and spirituality, a message of connection of revealing God in the world and of perfecting ourselves. So on Rosh Hashanah, we blow, take that soul, and we also use it to blow that life force into the entire world. We're literally helping God recreate the world because now we're not his subject. Now we're his partner in creation, which is one of his goals, is that we should be partners in creation with God. So... One last point to share with you is that in creating the world, what God essentially did for the six days of creation was he actually hid himself in the physical world. Because before creation, all there was was God. God was revealed. When he created the world, and the world in Hebrew, the world olam, actually in Hebrew means hidden. He hid himself in a physical existence in order for us to exist. So in Rosh Hashanah, he also reenacts that process of hiding himself in order to put us in charge. That's the fear on Rosh Hashanah, is that God is literally elevating us to the level of vice president of the company. And we are in charge of what happens in this next year. Is it going to be a good year, a year of spirituality and growth? Or is it going to be a year of disconnection and selfishness? 
So I want to bless you all that on this Rosh Hashanah, we all do an inventory of ourselves and figure out how we can be better employees of the CEO. Now, if you're not clear on the mission statement of the world, so make a, make a commitment to learn what the, what the purpose of creation is all about. And then you can buy in to that mission and help to become an intrinsic part of fulfilling that mission in the world. So the last point I'll share with you is many ask that if Rosh Hashanah is Judgment Day and Yom Kippur is the Day of Atonement, we ask for forgiveness. Shouldn't it? Isn't that out of order? Shouldn't Yom Kippur come first? Shouldn't we first ask forgiveness and then get judged? The answer, I believe, is based on what we just explained. That Rosh Hashanah is a day to show that we're all in, to buy into the mission. That's why the whole prayer service is all about coronating the King over the universe and over ourselves. Once we have bought in and gotten clarity on who we want to be in perspective to the ultimate purpose of the world, so then the CEO turns to us and says, okay, you want a promotion this year? So I'm not here to judge you based on what you did in the past, but at the end of the day, you got to clean up your record because if you haven't fixed yourself up, so how do I know you're not going to go back to your old ways? Now, anything's possible. But now I'm going to give you 10 days to prove to me that you're really all in and that you're really working on those mistakes that you made that last year. The promotion is yours, but you do have to show show me that you have skin in the game, that it's not just uh, lip service. So then we have 10 days, really eight days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur to begin putting a plan into action. How do I take one step closer? to that goal of who I want to be this year, that goal of perfecting myself and perfecting the world. How do I make it real? And that's that's the idea of tshuva, is actually creating a practical, actionable, measurable program for becoming a better person. That's what we use these those days, the, the days of tshuva for, and for uh, leading up to Yom Kippur. And then on Yom Kippur, if you actually took steps to improve yourself during those days, on Yom Kippur, your entire previous record is wiped clean. A completely fresh start, a clean slate with which you can now take begin to fulfill your true potential. And this year, last year, was a year of all sorts of challenges, physical challenges. We all know people who are sick and suffering. We know people who are depressed, people who are divorced, people suffering alone and loneliness with all sorts of financial problems, a year of war, war in Ukraine and many places all over the world, a year of confusion, a year of depression, anxiety, inflation. But this next year, this next year is not has not yet been read written yet we have the ability to change the outcome of the year all we have to do is take a step to changing ourselves and if we show that we're willing to judge ourselves and figure out how we can become better we can guarantee ourselves a better year wishing you all shana tova we should all be written in the book of life we should be written for a Shana Tova, a Masuka, a good Gabench year, a sweet new year. Kasiva Kasiva Tova shall be written and sealed in the Book of Life.